Welcome back. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And for the podcasting community, you'll be able to download this show afterwards uh, on iTunes, uh, but also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Underneath this player, you'll see a download button after the show, and you can download episode 179. Uh, for your podcasting, leisurely listening. And uh, our next guest uh, is an editor of the website of the Duran. This is a new news and commentary site, which is uh, launched last year, uh, which is doing extremely well. Uh, he's one of the editors of the Duran, and he's also a regular guest on uh, the popular RT talk show, Crosstalk. And his name is Adam Gary. And we'd like to welcome him to the Sunday Wire this week. Hello, Adam. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And you know, just just to just to kick things off, we're gonna play we're gonna play the voicemail message. If you call the if you call the Russian Foreign <laughs> Ministry yesterday, which was April Fool's Day, April first, you would have heard the following message on their voicemail. Go ahead and roll this. You have reached the Russian embassy. Your call is very important to us. To arrange a call from a Russian diplomat to your political opponents, press 1. To use the services of Russian hackers, press 2. To request election interference, press 3 and wait until the next election campaign. <laughs> so you can't you can't accuse the Russians of not having a uh, a sense of humor they're learning aren't they <laughs> oh don't wait they, they'll accuse them of that too once they run out of all the other accusations <laughs> of not having a sense of humor <laughs> so uh welcome adam thanks for joining us and uh, uh firstly you know just for people who uh aren't familiar with you and your work um you know uh, tell us a little bit about how you got in to or where your interest has come uh in politics and international politics of, of which you are you know, uh, an active commentator. Um, the, the politicians are following you, so you might as well find out, you know, how the competition's doing. If you care about things like uh, liberty, if you care about things like peace, which I always have, and I suspect most people do. So I've studied all of this stuff for most of my life uh, with a particular emphasis on Russia, whether it be the Tsarist periods of the Union, how the Russia of today came to be, which you'll find a lot of distorted and fake information about that from the MSM and even from uh, fake scholarship. There's plenty of that, too. It's not just fake news. Um, but for a long time, no one really cared about Russia. They were talking about Iraq. Uh, they were talking about things going on in East Asia. But under the Obama regime, uh, sorry, administration, it's really shifted back to Russia. So the phone is ringing quite a lot, not just the embassy phone, but mine. So that's where we are today. Yeah, and so, so there's a difference between uh, understanding uh, Russia and understanding Eastern uh, cultures and then fearing Russia and fearing uh, Eastern cultures. You know, I've had commentators on, you know, American uh, scholars on this show like Mark Hackard, for instance, um, who's a you know a great uh, pundit on Russian history and politics, and people like this who are American or from European countries, and they've taken an interest in this, and so they're able to share that with people, you know, in the English language, and I think this is a great thing. But if you look at it in the context of the sort of the the, the hysterical environment that's been created right now, that we're sort of in. People, some people don't see that as a positive thing. They see that as uh, Russian propaganda or part of active measures 
by the uh, the new Soviet Union, for instance. It's it, this is where we're at right now. So you can't even have uh, any constructive cross cultural dialogue. Um, ask Dr. Stephen Cohen from Princeton University; he'll tell you the same thing. You yeah. know, is, I mean, what? How are you seeing this in in your sort of peer group in your environment right now? I think there's a massive dichotomy. To quote John Kerry, there are two parallel universes. On the one hand, everything Russian is sinister, everything Russian is bad, and within that part of the parallel universe, there's a contradiction. On the one hand, Russia's inferior, it's socially, culturally, economically retarded in the eyes of these people, and then uh, Obama, for example, once called Russia merely a regional power. If that region's Earth, I suppose he's correct. Um, but then on the other hand, Russia is omnipotent and omnipresent. It can rig anything from the election of local dog catcher in northern Scotland to the president of the United States. It's invading the whole world, and yet it still wants to invade the rest. Now, in the other, I would say, saner parallel universe, people are looking at Russia and they're seeing it for what it is. And what's more, they're interested in it. They see a society which, after years of the Soviet Union, they've gotten rid of ideology and they've become a post-ideological country where politics at the top is guided by problems solving and the language of diplomacy is a language of pragmatism rather than one of zeal or, or um, ideological dogma. And a lot of people, people who want peace, who want de-escalation of conflict between major powers, they're looking to it and they're saying that sounds quite attractive. So the answer that I would give to the Russian conspiracy theorists, because that's what they are, conspiracy theories aren't only from alternative sources, the conspiracies from the top, and the Russiagate thing is a conspiracy theory among the elite. I would say it isn't so much that Russia has come to the West, but that many in the West are curious about what's going on in Russia, and they're that much more interested when they find out that it's quite a lot different than this weird cartoonish McCarthyite image that you see every day from places like cnn yeah there's a i mean there's a there's a political component to this um especially though coming from led by the by the sort of the u.s um sort of wing of the hysteria there's definitely a political opponent and so the the, the challenge that you know someone like myself would face in a kind of uh, debate dialogue or a forum is that if if i agree with russian foreign policy uh, or, or some something that Russia's done. For instance, um, uh, coming in at the at the eleventh hour to negotiate a uh, dismantling and uh, you know sending serious old chemical weapon stocks uh, for <clears throat> to a UN body uh, to be taken and disposed of. For instance, you know a major diffusion of a, a potential major foreign policy crisis, or um, in a, a number of other good examples. Um, I can't agree with that in that political paradigm, because if I do, then I'm carrying water for the Kremlin, basically. And uh, so there's a lot of people around the world who agree with problem solving and pragmatism, but they're, they're being kind of, uh, I would say, intimidated um, through this campaign from, you know, having some common cause on that level. It's just a common sense sort of approach rather than this the the dogmic ideological approach that you're saying so there's these forced splits and lines that have been drawn right now and it's almost like this kind of i don't know it, to me it's got a air of a design of political control 
that's kind of how I'm viewing it. I don't know how you're analyzing this. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. I think it's political control through social control, which, of course, is the tactic of the police state. Nazi Germany, turn in the Jew. Uh, Maoist China, turn in the counter-revolutionary. And uh, because the, the thought police can't be everywhere, even though they're um, reading all our phone messages, they have the ability to do so, certainly hack into televisions. Um, police states throughout history, even when the technology is good, they found that putting a paranoid big brother mindset into people actually allows ordinary citizens to unwittingly do their job for them. And the analogy I would use is going back to that famous Sidney Poitier film, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which broke the taboos about uh, interracial relationships um, in the civil rights era in America. Um, If you remade that film today, I suppose you could have the son or daughter of um, a prominent uh, Democratic or possibly Republican senator bringing a Russian student to dinner. And, oh, this is subversive. It's it's like McCarthyism, but instead of ideology, whereby Russians are bad because of the co- Marxist-Leninist communist system, now Russians are bad simply for being Russians. I think there's a term for it. I think it's called racism. So Russians can do no right. People can't have an objective view. I have no problem with people um, criticizing Russia and Russia, which has wonderful free speech laws. There's the Moscow Times, the radio station Echo of Moscow, which say a lot of the stuff CNN say about Russia, they're allowed to broadcast. I have no problem with free speech, the marketplace of ideas, but what I don't like is this idea that Russia, or even knowing about Russia, being sympathetic to the kinds of policy they do it tends to make you a social pariah. And it's all quite funny at first when people are called a Putin agent this, a foreign agent that, but when it's affecting people's lives and when it's affecting the ability of rational debate to be had, and more importantly, when a conspiracy theory is allowed to waste the time and money of the American government, something is seriously wrong. It's dysfunctional. No, no, and I'll, I'll give you an example of just how bad it's got. This is uh, Congressman Adam Schiff. This is uh, Hollywood's uh, representative in Burbank in L.A. Uh, He is leading the sort of the charge. He's been charged with leading the charge uh, by his party or by whoever uh, is, you know, wanting to really push this out and and sustain it. And so here he is on Tucker Carlson's show uh, recently. And uh, the host, Tucker Carlson, uh, basically challenged Schiff, said, can you look right in the camera and say that uh, Putin or or the Kremlin hacked John Podesta's emails? He didn't mention the DNC, but I guess he inferred that as well. Uh, And Schiff then dodged the question and then turned around to attack the host uh, as being a Kremlin agent or something like this. Go ahead and roll this, Adam Schiff. Here's Shifty uh, being questioned by Tucker Carlson, roll this. Can you look right into the camera and say, I know for a fact the government of Vladimir Putin was behind the hacks of John Podesta's email? Absolutely. The government of Vladimir Putin was behind the hacks of our institution and the dumping of, of information. Of John Podesta's email. Not only in the of United John States, email. but also in Europe. 
Okay, you're not. You know what? You're dodging. And, and, and Tucker, <laughs> you, look and you say, are, I know they did jump and, us. Even and, I, they hacked and us. I think that uh, Ronald Reagan will be rolling over Ronald Reagan, grave fine. Ronald Reagan, and Ronald. you're carrying water for the Kremlin. I'm not which, carrying water for the Kremlin. You, you look, you're a sitting member of Congress elect, on the Intel Committee, uh, and you can't say I, they I, hacked, hacked. You're going you're gonna to have to move your shoulder to RT Russian television because this is perfect. This is perfectly your office because it's so dumb and you're being duplicitous. I'm asking you, did they hack Podesta's emails and you can't say it? Personal insults like that, Tucker. You just said I was carrying... Oh, you said I was carrying water for Putin. That's pretty well, hilarious. It, you know, when you, when you essentially are an apologist for the Kremlin, that's what you're doing. I'm an apologist. One last time, Congressman. Look in the camera and say they hacked John Podesta's emails. We know for a fact that Putin's government did that. You can't and you know you can't and you're hiding behind I, I, weasel words. I, wow. So, so that that's where it's at right now, Adam. In, yeah. in, in, no exaggeration. This is where it's at in America. It's the, it's this bad. What it reminds me of, um, John McCain, or as I call him, Insane McCain, uh, who wants to go to war with everyone, especially uh, countries that stand in the way of him getting a hold on regime change in Russia. He called Rand Paul, libertarian-leaning Republican senator, son of Ron Paul, of course. He called him several times the, a Putin agent on the floor of the Senate. Now, if if the if, if Tucker Carlson was um, a federal judge and Schiff was before him, I think the word perjury might I'd come into it. It's just you can't just go around throwing accusations. People have got, I'm a free speech advocate. I couldn't, I'd be a hypocrite if I were anything but. But there's a big difference between freely speaking one's opinion, freely analyzing the facts in, in terms of your perspective, and telling outright lies, which could potentially be damaging to an individual. So, and it's just amazing that no one has brought up that level of scrutiny against these people. It ought to be done, but there's just I don't hear anything. Yeah, yeah, and so the 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 follow the follow on from that is you know where where it can go after that is that now the mainstream TV shows in America are all bringing on just one pundit after another, and these are all uh, to to me quite dubious actors in themselves. One of them is uh, who's now becoming he just testified in front of this I believe the Senate committee on Russian collusion. They haven't come up with any evidence after all of this uh, activity, but his name's Clint Watts. He's an interesting character. So he's he's marketed by, let's say, NBC this morning as a former FBI agent, but they don't actually say who he's working for. And so this, I'll tell you who he's working for, but listen to this clip first. And here he is talking about um, the Russian uh, fake news campaign that helped uh, Donald Trump uh, win the election. So go ahead and Clint, Clint Watts, Trump, roll this clip. Listen closely to what he says here. It's very, very revealing in how the uh, talking points are being constructed. Go ahead and roll this. Was Donald Trump specifically targeted by this Russian uh, uh, operation as a person to help uh, spread this news? I don't think they saw him as a person to spread the news. They just knew that he was opportunistic during his campaign. So if you put stuff that helps his campaign, he will likely use it. And they really turned towards him uh, in August of 15. That's when you started to see those stories pop up. But they also pushed for Bernie Sanders at times, too. They would go on the left and the right. It's bipartisan. It was interesting to hear that. When did you find out, and 
if in and whenever you did, did you start alerting the campaigns that this was happening? No, I had no contact with the campaigns, but we started watching it three years ago. Uh, January of fourteen was the first time I had seen it. Uh, April of fourteen is when we saw the Alaska back to Russia fake uh, story. Right. Uh, through the Syrian fight, we study Islamic State. Right. Andrew Weisberg. Jay Berger and I, and we noticed it through the Syria campaign that Russia was developing the capability. It wasn't until 2015 they really turned towards the U.S. election. All right, but why not warn the campaign? It seems like this should have been something that maybe, and maybe this is hindsight now, it's easy to say in hindsight, that all the active campaigns should have been warned, hey, there is an active operation here by the Russian government. This is what they're going to try to do during this campaign. In hindsight, should that have been done? Yeah, what people didn't understand is the hacking-powered influence. We obsess about the tech part of hacks. Right. What are they trying to do? Tech, tech, tech. But really, that was to take information to create information, nuclear weapons, essentially, that you put into the social media landscape. That, that powers fake news, true news, and manipulated truths. And that connection wasn't made, I don't even think, until after the election was over. Uh, the, the hardest part of all of this has always been, how do you respond as a nation state? How do you respond to uh, a, a cyber attack? Dick Cheney and John McCain have gone so far as to say, you could call what okay okay so 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 adam um I, i'm just gonna say this guy clint watts okay this is this guy was the source for the washington post's uh feature on this group called prop or not that that claim that there's a giant russian conspiracy theory and there's 200 websites in in uh, in the west the u.s canada and europe that are all part of a russian network disinformation network um, and I don't know if you your website was included on that, but his name's Clint Watts, and he actually works for and and Chuck Todd from NBC, who di- did a diabolical job as a journalist there because he didn't quite he just assumed uh, he he bolstered every single point that this guest made without questioning it, speaking of it as if it had already happened or was fact. That's we'll leave that to the side. But this guy works for the foreign policy uh, or. Well, yeah, from the Foreign Policy Research Institute, the FPRI. That's a, basically a Cold War think tank that's been around for years. Uh, I think it's run by or used to be run by John Lehman, who's a major Cold Warrior of the old uh, description and who is also a signatory of the neoconservative doctrine, the Project for a New American Century. Okay, and so there's Anna Foreign, Pizer, Foreign Policy Advisor to John McCain. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's two, and Mitt Romney, two virtual anti-Russian war hawks. Okay. So that's Clint Watts there, and his co-authors, uh, Jam Berger and Andrew Weisbud, uh, also you know from this website called War on the Rocks, which is one of the worst, some of the worst researched articles that I've ever come across on this topic. Um, just f- talk about propaganda. So they don't introduce him as from a think tank. They introduce him as a former FBI agent, Clint Watts, in order to give him immediate credibility in the average Joe's mind. Okay, but intelligent uh, viewers will look, will see through that if they actually did research on this, which which we've done. Um, but y- you see what he said there. He said that now it's fake news. He said the Russians are spreading fake news, true news. And manipulated truths. So he's even broken it down, Adam, into three separate categories. I mean, can you believe this? You know, it, most of this is just too too much science. To, it just dazzles the mind. And most people will just switch off when it just gets this verbose and complicated. But the, but the propaganda manages to penetrate. I'm talking about real 
propaganda here. This this is really sophisticated stuff, Adam. It is. I mean, it's the it's the language of pseudoscience designed to make lies seem like the truth. So we've gone from if you tell a lie enough times, people will tend to view it as the truth, to if you fake science, and that's what it is, it's fake science, pseudoscience, if you push that on the average viewer who doesn't necessarily have the time to compute this stuff, a lot of people will, will start questioning it. It's a bit like Stockholm Syndrome, but um, as Hemingway said, the truth has a certain ring to it, so if I can try to break down this pseudoscience jargon with a bit of straight talking, all I can say is this, the people on alternative media most of them are americans few if any are actually russian people in russia these are men and women speaking their minds and they're not a monolith some focus more on free speech issues some focus more on foreign policy some focus more on the culture wars it's it's not some sort of alt media monolith i could say though that mainstream media is a bit monolithic than people on the alternative or news side of things and i, I think again Again, getting back to the to the legal questions of Morgan, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm asking the question. Um, if accuse someone of being something that they're not, working for someone that they're not, receiving information from people that they're not, in a way that could damage their professional credibility, that could be quite serious. And in my view, that's kind of sort of the thing that they're hinting at. And what boggles the mind even more, why don't they go to the people in alt media and just ask them point blank, are you working for Russia? I mean, it's a bit like, are you having you ever be a member of the communist party but whatever i'm happy to answer the question no i'm not working for russia i'm speaking my views and i only go on outlets that allow me to speak without censorship so the truth is a lot simpler than the lie and i think in my experience that that is the case the truth is always more simpler than the concoction so so is this a case of you know what i see is the one of the end run games here is they're trying to basically um this is kind of an attack on um uh, small independent media persons who might run blogs or websites and who maybe work internationally in other words they're not um bound to any uh specific uh, government or even the they're free of the sort of the politics even of their own government let's say if they reside in the U.S. or if they reside in Britain or in Europe or elsewhere or in Bangkok or Australia. It's, it's kind of an attack on the, the independent person who's maybe not aligned uh, with any particular political party, for instance. Um, but, also they're, but then they're bringing in the Breitbarts of the world who are I – mean, Breitbart News is a political – um, organization there they have a specific political agenda it's it's completely right wing with uh, sprinklings of libertarianism maybe and it's absolutely aligned very much um, with large elements of the republican party in the united states and so and they're not ashamed about that they pretty much advertise it and so uh, so, but they're using that big body as well to sort of somehow by associating them with Donald Trump to demonize uh, a lot of the other smaller uh, independent outlets. And we're, um, my website's even getting thrown in uh, to that um, sort of that group insult or that group defamation smear 
uh, 21st century wire. The, some people think that we're somehow right wing and we're anything but actually. But, um, you know, so if you're not attacking Trump, then you must be uh, you must be a right wing uh, fake news and you're a fascist or you're uh, whatever deplor just generally deplorable, I guess. Uh, hmm. If you're not attacking Trump or you're not supporting Obama or Hillary, um, so this is this is the way I'm translating this because we just got featured in a major University of Washington study. So it's a government-funded study, Adam, done by a professor from the University of Washington named Katie Starbird. That's right, Katie Starbird. She's got government funding to do a study to attack people who are criticizing the federal government. This is amazing, Adam. You can't make this up. Look, it's it's as if I, if I didn't know better, I would call for a congressional investigation into her trying to meddle in uh, the meddle in the minds of the voters by trying uh, to present a narrative that people offering original and fully independent opinions are somehow influenced from the pocket of people they own. I think fundamentally, there's two things going on here. There's the big corporatist side of things going after the small and medium-sized businesses. So, seen in economic terms, it's sort of cottage industry capitalists, if you will, in terms of their business model, who are being attacked on a daily basis yeah. by the corporation because I think there's a bit of jealousy. The yeah. millions that they come on as big, and in some cases a bigger audience, with an, a fraction of the budget, and they can do so by telling the truth. I think in terms of attacking things like Breitbart, who are quite big and quite corporate themselves, I think they may have misstepped, because now the people who are cast under this singular net as alternative, um, Donald Trump tends to support alternative media. So... If you're an alternative media and if one supports Trump, which many did, I did, um, I thought that he was the best of a bad lot. And I think what's more than that, he said some excellent things. And if he follows through on even half of them, I'll give credit where it's due. But the point is, how can people be subversive if they're supporting the president of the United States? It's like saying that someone's going to go on strike by shaking hands with the uh, president of a corporation. There's a logical fallibility there. Um, um, and the way that they're trying to get themselves out of it, oh, but the president of the United States is a shill of the same foreign interests that are running small and medium-sized websites and uh, independent broadcasters. The, the level of illogic that we're dealing with is absolutely mind-numbing, and the total disregard for the First Amendment is its incredibly disturbing. It's as though the First Amendment is there, and no one's calling directly for its abolition, but when it's used, which I think is the point of having a constitutional amendment, somehow it's it's less than clean, it's less than transparent. Uh, so it's a combination of corporate warfare, lies, and a kind of hypocrisy uh, because Donald Trump won. If he didn't win, it would have been easier to say that everyone in alt media is somehow some dangerous traitor. But because a lot of them supported the man who is now the President of the United States, you've got two establishments. You've got the old establishment with their mainstream media cheerleaders, and then you've got a new establishment in the White House, which is at in a civil war with members of Congress, uh, major federal bodies like the CIA that collectively we call the deep state, nothing conspiratorial. These are actual organizations. They have addresses, some 
know about, some of which we don't. Um, and so the, this contradiction is something that I think in the long term will come to bite them in the behind, in the same way that McCarthyism by the 1960s became a byword for a kind of drink-soaked, lunatic fringe witch hunt of people, some of whom may have been left-wing, but virtually none of them had any desire to overthrow America and replace it with the Soviet system. No, no, def- definitely. I, I remember uh, speaking to uh, uh, a great Hollywood icon, Ed Asner, um, and you know, we I think we talked a little bit about this the, this whole Red Scare thing, and you know, the, definitely Hollywood and the entertainment industry overwhelmingly left wing and very socialist uh, in its political um, shape and everything. But you know, he he just basically intimated that yeah the, you know the, the, there are political forces uh clashing constantly in the united states have been for a very long time um but when when it comes in when it gets really nasty adam is when they start attacking uh people uh in trying to basically take away their livelihood uh, whether they're in hollywood it was an actor a writer a, a director um or you know in ed asner's case he really took on the cause of the people in El Salvador, for instance, and that was the thing that really uh, basically put a target on him uh, by the establishment, or I, I think he was head of the Screen Actors Guild um, at the time, and, you know, of course, a lot of pressure put on him to for them to, to, to dump him, for instance, as the, uh, as the head, I think, but um, that, that's kind of one one little microcosm there now just quickly listen to this i just had to i have to play this because i think this is absolutely key here's clint watts at the end of this segment and he's basically now he's basically categorized on national tv uh this supposed fake news um uh active measures campaign by russia um and the whole fake news thing he's he's basically putting it under the header heading of a foreign cyber attack okay so just roll this and listen closely. Clinton Watts cyber attack. Listen to this. Hardest part of all of this has always been how do you respond as a nation state? How do you respond to uh, a cyber attack? Dick Cheney and John McCain have gone so far as say you could call what the Russians did an act of war. Where are you on that? There's two things we have to do above everything else. We can do the whole government approach, but we have to get, one, a baseline for fact and fiction. Right now, we have arguments over that amongst our executive branch. The other thing is we cannot counteract the measures if we are anti-NATO and anti-EU. That is Russia's propaganda as well. They're anti-NATO and anti-EU. And that's what it seems like our administration is pushing right now. All right. If you have a distrust, though, if, if a majority of the country distrusts what they see anyway in media, is this nearly impossible to start stop in this political climate it's exactly what the russians want they're still winning today and they were winning before the election just us talking about it here today is a victory for them people are going to argue when i leave this table and you leave today what's fake news and what's true and false and until we can put that debate aside and come together as americans we're going to continue to lose to other adversaries good word to end on clint watts i mean is that that just blows me away adam right there that statement i don't know <laughs> He, he's saying that we need a baseline for what's fact and what's fiction. So he's basically saying the you know the government needs to step in to determine what's fact and fiction. This is an a so-called patriotic American uh, really calling for the abolition of the First Amendment. If you drill right down to the to fundamentally what he said there, and you know so the, the, there's the presenter Adam Chuck Todd, the great N- NBC uh, presenter there. 
basically agreeing, not challenging this a completely outrageous and bombastic statement by his guest, basically saying that uh, you know uh, any anti-NATO or anti-EU, especially anti-EU um, sentiments, are somehow the work of Russians or something that Russians pushing. I'm going to say that no, Russia did not did not make the British public vote Brexit last summer. Um, so they've co-opted you know, any single anti-establishment cause. They basically bound it. They've, they've welded it to the Russians, basically. So that so it's, it's totally disempowered voters in the West or people from having any views that might be, let's say, anti-EU. And let me tell you, the anti-EU sentiments in Europe are huge. And it's not because of Russia. It's because of Greece. It's because of Cyprus. It's because of what's happening in Spain, in Portugal, in Ireland, and many and, and many other issues as well, Adam. It's incredible. I mean, what do you make of this approach by the establishment agent here, this Clint Watts? I mean, it goes, they're blaming everything on Russia with zero evidence, no circumstantial evidence, no actual evidence. He called, as you said, in all but name for the abolition of the First Amendment. And when listening carefully, I think he said that it wouldn't be inappropriate for America, America to declare war on Russia. Um, the Democratic Party, I mean, where are the, the McGovern's? Uh, where, are, where are the Robert Kennedys? And they're all, they're, they're gone and more. More than one sense. I think when it comes to Europe, it, it's the biggest joke of all. The the union of the EU, the EU machine in Brussels and big government in, in Washington is something that doesn't really factor into the minds of most people in the US. I don't know if there's a consensus opinion on the EU, but certainly since Donald Trump embraced Nigel Farage, Mr. Brexit, there's probably been a tide of skepticism against Europe in America. Now, in EU countries themselves, people are generally too busy suffering with an economic disaster, with a migrant disaster, with a, with a crisis of culture, a crisis of identity, to, to worry about Russia. The, the only exceptions to this would be the countries that have practiced a kind of post-historical brainwashing on their people, which has allowed actual fact of history to be distorted into into a notion that somehow old feuds are a present danger. And that would be limited mainly to countries like Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And even in those countries, a lot of people are more and more saying that, hang on, these governments are talking about Russia when they want to distract us from the fact that our wages are going down. They, they're trying to distract us from the fact that young people are emigrating to other countries the moment they have a reasonable opportunity to. But in the rest of Europe, whether it's been the south of Europe that's been impoverished by the EU's unfair economic system, or whether it's in the northwestern European countries like Holland, where there's a burgeoning anti-EU movement in France, where Marine Le Pen, who may win a forthcoming election, is either going to change the EU beyond recognition or withdraw France from it. Of course, you have Brexit in Britain, which in, in terms of a political vote got this started. None of that had anything to do with 
with Russia. Um, it, it's just it's extraordinary that that people will use the Putin did it con uh, whenever something doesn't go their way. Now, as I said earlier, the only grain of truth to this is that when people are looking at Russia, which has a government that rejects this postmodern liberal notion of what it means to be a post-state environment, some people look at it and say that's quite interesting. But even that's a minority of people. Most people don't have the time to even explore those avenues of curiosity. And those that do are only thinking about it at an intellectual level. There's nothing subversive about intellectual curiosity and asking important questions. But the level of contempt that these people have for their own people and the level of contempt they have for the most basic expressions of democracy, it's on full display. It's not that the people in Britain were sick of Europe. It's not that the people in Greece and Cyprus, Spain and other places are suffering under an economic straitjacket. Um, it's not that the people in France are tired of the French constitution and French values being undermined by a kind of amorphous globalist blob. It, no, no, it's none of that it's none of that it's all vladimir putin and the stupid sheep just got temporarily confused uh, by the influence of putin who also hacked the election just in case he didn't brainwash the people up i mean when you the, the it's so childish when you take away the pseudoscientific rhetoric it really is the kind of thing um that, that a kid would say um the dog ate my homework putin did it the levels of sophistication are frankly equal well, I mean, I'm hearing this more and more in the last sort of uh, 14 days. I'm hearing that uh, Russia is is now uh, uh, basically hacking and uh, influencing the French election, okay, uh, and pu- and pushing the Frexit movement, and uh, <laughs> and then and then also I've even heard them attribute Russia to somehow promoting the Gert Wilders uh, campaign in Holland. Uh, and also undermining other elections. I've been hearing the one about Estonia for like a long, long time and Poland. Okay. So, I mean, so can you comment to the Estonian accusations, which seem to be one of the main go to talking points? Then you have the Poland one and then you have Holland and France. You know, what do you know about any of those countries? And, um, how those results came out as, as opposed to the sort of hyperbole you're hearing from U.S. and, uh, uh, you know, British pundits about Russia interfering in those elections. Well, the Polish and Estonian examples are the most laughable of all. In Poland, um, you've got a, a, a pro-EU, pro-globalist, anti-Russian party. Uh, the Civic Union um, was, they were... Um, ousted uh, by the the current ruling party the law and justice party now they like the former like the former government um they're anti-russian but the difference is they're a bit eurosceptic and they're a bit um anti-globalist a bit anti sort of multiculturalism at gunpoint sort of attitude and because of that they're pro-putin even though they're not they are actually an anti-russian party as most parties in poland or poland has its 
own uh, unique history of wars with Russia um, that went on for centuries. Uh, and so the idea that Euroscepticism is sort of pro-Russianism, well, you just have to look at the Law and Justice Party. Don't worry. If anyone's worried, they have the NATO troops in there. They've been invited. Um, they're anti-Russian. And the, the Estonian party is even more laughable. No party that could really break through to mainstream politics in Estonia could possibly be pro-Russian. The current center party was led by a man called, uh, formerly led by a man called Edgar Savizar, who recently resigned. Now, he was someone that was actually played a part in breaking Estonia uh, away from the Soviet Union, but because he was opposed to the more discriminatory measures passed in the country after it became independent in 1991, he was automatically pro-Russia, when all he was doing is say, can we not have civil rights for the ethnic Russians who were living in and born in Estonia for generations, and in some cases, centuries long before communism? Uh, so those things are the easiest to write off. Neither the Center Party in Estonia nor Law and Justice are remotely pro-Russian. As for France, um, these allegations stem from the fact that the French financial system was trying to rig the elections in a roundabout way. Marine Le Pen's uh, Front National Party, which has been a big party in France uh, for a long time, uh, her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, was quite famous. Uh, uh, he was far too far to the far right for my liking at all. Uh, but nonetheless, they were a party, and in a democracy uh, like France uh, was, or maybe still is, um, they need to be listened to. Now, Marine Le Pen is an entirely different uh, cre political creature than her father. She tried to get a standard political election loans from French and other European banks, and for politicized reasons, they said no. So she went to other banks from other countries, including Russia, and they said, sure, if you can pay the loan back on time under these terms, we don't really care, which is what I call commerce, if, if, if we're to believe in this free market that's so venerated in spite of its uh, constant failings, if I may say so. So, so, uh, and finally, you've got Gerd Wilders. Now, Gerd Wilders was a neocon in all but name. He was uh, pro-NATO, uh, pro-Israel, pro definitely, um, you, you couldn't really accuse him of taking the Russian position in the Middle East, which is to allow legitimate governments to govern. Um, and so the idea that somehow Wilders was pro-Russia, is, is it's, it's just nonsensical. All of these examples are nonsensical, albeit for different reasons. And so when you actually examine the facts of what these uh, various um, uh, various political parties across Europe stand for um, and what their connections are with Russia, you realize that the whole thing is fake news. The idea that the Law and Justice Party in Poland, Centre Party in Estonia, Front National in France, or the Freedom Party of Gert Builders in Holland, the, the idea that these are connected with Russia, it's destroyed by fundamental and public truths okay now now let's get to let's get to this is this is the best part okay uh, I, I saved the best for the last so so i was watching prime minister's question times last week and uh here's a conservative mp from uh luth and Horncastle, and her name is victoria atkin and uh, we're going to roll this. This is on the floor of the House of Commons this last week during Prime Minister's Question Times. And uh, listen to Victoria Atkins MP. Listen to this. Here we go. Therefore, 
Force is preparing to fly typhoons from RAF Coningsby in my constituency to Romania to support our NATO allies on the border with Russia. This, this is as President Putin is locking up his political opponents and crushing calls for democracy. Will my right honourable friend confirm, as we leave the EU, that the United Kingdom will continue to lead NATO in defending this vital border and will she pay tribute to the armed forces who safeguard our, our democracy at home and abroad. Okay, so, you know, I'll be right behind her, Adam, if she volunteers to fire the first shot. That's all I can say. <laughs> but what, what, what is this? This is incredible. Okay. First of all, Romania doesn't border Russia. So 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 straight away there's the disconnect from reality. Um, second of all, I think that and this is a worry that I think a lot of people, even on the Brexit side of things, are a bit they're a bit afraid of articulating. I think that Brexit is going to be a force. When you have people in the British establishment who essentially want the same pro-war mentality, the same anti-Russian mentality, the same disregard for the rising power in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, um, the same uh, pro-slave labor, the same anti-socialist and anti-free market, um, you have both, ironically, in this mindset, even if and when, and I'm still skeptical as if it will, in, in respect of whether it will happen, if and when Britain leaves the European Union, it's going to be a case of the same laws and the same mindset, but with a great big British flag as opposed to a European flag. So even though some of the particulars of, of government and law in Britain may well change um, in this transition period, I think overall speeches like that, it's, it's not a speech in isolation. I would hope that other members of the UK Parliament would know which countries Romania borders, but a Aside from that, it's the mentality that's shared by the British establishment, and it's going to take a Trump movement or something similar in Britain for anything significant to change, irrespective of when and how Britain uh, leaves Brussels. I, I view that move by um, uh, Victoria Atkins there as just she's kind of speaking. You know, she, she said straight away, she said the RAF base in my constituency. So she's she's aligning herself there with the uh, military industrial complex. And so, so you know, let, let, let's get serious. You know, Britain doesn't po they're, they're not going to that's uh, not scaring the Russians that. Britain's uh, scrambled uh, one, two of their six uh, flyable tornadoes, or wh however many they have, um, uh, over in Romania. That somehow that's going to, uh, uh, you know, put Putin uh, on his back heels. But what it does is it's a signal to the military industry saying, "Hey, we're still in the game. You know, we're still an active part of NATO. We're 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 right in there in the mix. So you know, we need to keep this uh, this section of the industry going. Britain's just a tiny little sliver." Um, of that industry, of, of the total global um, arms and defense industry, especially compared to the U.S. But it, it, it's kind of, I, I view that as Britain saying, look, we're still in the game. You know, don't worry, we're still, we're still active. We're still in the game. You know, the contracts will still be coming. Don't worry. You know, we're still anti-Russian. Don't worry about us. You know, sort of thing. That's the, to me, it's, 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 it's more than a dog whistle, though. But, you know, you could say it's kind of a dog whistle to the uh, arms industry. Because it's pointless in terms of geopolitics to even make such a statement. Um, it's ridiculous. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that Britain is sort of, it's facing what Angela Merkel might describe as a metaphysical crisis. Britain for years, since the 80s, and in, and in some cases before, has been used to um, marching around the world, giving lectures to people, acting like the little, the little kid who sort of was pumping his fist next to the big schoolyard bully with the actual firepower, and that would have been America. With Donald Trump, who's saying NATO members need to put up or shut up. Um, he said throughout the campaign that Russia isn't a threat to Europe or to America, which it manifestly and objectively is not. He's saying all these things, and Britain, where a lot of people have made very lucrative careers on essentially repeating the scripts from Obama, from George W. Bush, from Bill Clinton, who destroyed Serbia alongside the well-known war criminal Tony Blair. Um, a lot of these people don't really know what hit him and they don't know what to make of Donald Trump. Some are going to try to talk him down from his position. Good luck with that. Um, others are thinking maybe we've taken this too far and others yet are actively working with people in America to try to bring down the democratically elected uh, a, a government of the United States. Not that the people who brought down the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2014 would know anything about that, except, of course, that they do. So on the one so on the one hand it's it's mathematically forcible that Britain could threaten Russia by sending a couple of planes over uh, to Romania but on the other hand it's indicative of an economic and and psychological culture which has been shaken I think more by the Donald Trump victory than by Brexit yeah and, and um, I, I can tell you right now that, that Britain is uh, either has completed the, the the deal or is in the process of purchasing um, 30, 36 or 40 Apache, U.S.-made Apache helicopters, latest state-of-the-art, uh, manufactured by Boeing Corporation. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Britain used to ma actually manufacture its own uh, helicopters um, way back when, and its own airplanes as well. Um, but uh, that's becoming less and less of a reality, uh, and they're just opting instead to buy them uh, from the United States uh, and we see this happening more and more. So you can see the foreign policy, uh, what do you call it, co coordination uh, between the United States and Britain. The, to me, I look at the end result, Adam, which is like, you know, who's buying what from whom? Uh, and those are big ticket items, you know, the, the Apache combat helicopters. So so I, I see that as one of the sort of the driving forces behind all of this because there's there can't be adam any real military confrontation between russia and the west it simply can't happen it, it cannot happen for a number of reasons and it's not practical for the u.s for europe especially for europe maybe a bit more practical for the u.s because they have distance maybe more distance between uh well not really if you think of alaska but um it's, it's really it's not practice it's not practical for anybody yeah. But what it is practical for is the arms industry. It's a huge beneficiary to all this uh, hysteria. And so I see neoconservatives like uh, Clint Watt pushing all this stuff on national TV. I see John McCain pushing all this Russia fear-mongering, Vladimir Putin. Um, so, and I see these people, and then I see their connections um, with neoconservatives, with the arms industry. And to me, it makes perfect sense, Adam. 
Absolutely. It's it's part of a military industrial complex. Eisenhower obviously warned about that. And I would say making things even more dangerous, but good for business, depending on your perspective, certainly not mine. And I know not yours either. There's this media industrial complex that's now working hand in hand to, to try to bolster profits. So CNN goes on and says Russia is threatening Europe. Europe must. And then they, they bring on a talking head who reads the script and says, or maybe brainwashed there are a few of them too you know bless them uh who say oh russia's going to invade estonia and poland tomorrow and so 12 hours later the contracts are sold um the eye to the military hardware is delivered and then people like that shrieking woman uh whose name i don't care about in the british <laughs> parliament makes a speech like that and it just goes on and on and on forever meanwhile russia's minding its own business and they're actually involved in quite profound trade deals with Iran, with China, even with Turkey, um, which shows that if Russia and Turkey can get on, in spite of significant disagreements, to put it mildly, over Syria and wider Middle East policy, then how come Europe and, and, and America and Russia can't get along when there are no manifest disputes other than this fake news, fake conflict, which can make some people rich, but I think ultimately makes everyone a lot poorer, and which, which makes free speech much more endangered. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- let's hope, Adam, that uh, uh, this somehow develops into something better, because right now it's it, it's almost at, it's, I don't know, e- each week, Adam, I, I say it's at a low ebb, or, you know, and it can't go any lower, and then I'm surprised, and it does go even lower. But yeah. it does seem to me like it it's very close to bottoming out because they can't go much further without, A, um, start breaking their own laws blatantly, or, B, uh, basically, um, you know, taking some kind of a military action, starting a world war. And I don't think any direct confrontation like that is going to happen. So I'm hoping, Adam, it's going to 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 bottom out, and maybe um, the forbidden aspect of all things Russian could actually trigger uh, a lot more curio- intellectual curiosity that you were alluding to earlier in this segment. Last last thoughts on the matter, Adam Gary. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's going to be blowback. What came after the McCarthy era, the anti-Vietnam era? Uh, so you went from everyone's a communist and everyone's bad to why the hell are young American boys being sent into the jungles of East Asia for no reason? There's a civil rights movement in America. There's an economy. There are other things we need to deal with at home. I think the blowback from this, because the world is so much more multipolar, there's so many more big players than the the two or maybe two and a half that existed in the 1950s and 60s, that people are going to wake up to the fact that these people are using a big lie to undermine free speech in America, to undermine democracy throughout the throughout the West and the wider world, uh, to make people less safe, to distract people from real terrorism where it does exist, to distract people from the total terrorist mess that governments like America under Obama and Britain under Cameron and others created in countries like Syria, and people will get fed up. The the elections in America at a federal level take place every two years. These people, Democrats and some Republicans, people like McCain, they're going to have to answer to their voters. What have you done for me lately? And I think trying to start a war with Russia isn't going to be a sufficient answer to an electorate who have the ability, thanks to shows like yours, thanks to 
to the internet, thanks to um, media like RT, thanks to all of this, they're more informed than ever before. And I don't think these people will be able to get away with it for much longer, at least I hope so. And, hope and, and thanks to your website, thedoran.com. There's a link to it on our show page right now. Adam is an editor of that website. And we just want to thank you on behalf of uh, all our listeners. I want to thank you very much uh, for this segment. Uh, fantastic, Adam. We really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the amazing work. Oh, thanks for that. And it's always a pleasure. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Gary, editor of the Duran.com. There's a link to it on the show page, one of the better political international commentary sites available on the on the web. Go check it out. We're going to take a short break and connect our next guest, the one, the only, F. William Angdahl, will be joining us after the break to talk about an explosive story, the Israeli-U.S. wars, oil wars in the Golan Heights. Find out what it's all really about in Syria. We'll be right back with William Angdahl. This is the Sunday Wire. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. Hi, I'm Patrick Henningsen, host of the Sunday Wire, and you are listening to the Alternate Current Radio Network. <laughs> 